As mentioned this morning, our subject this evening is the honor that is due to the Virgin Mary. And she is obviously a very special, a unique person in Scripture, given the exceedingly great honor of bearing in her body, in her womb, uh, the body of our Lord Jesus. That miracle of the incarnation. God, the second person of the Trinity, uh, brought into union with a human nature, perfect, sinless human nature, that he might be our Redeemer and Savior. And very often I like to emphasize that in that union that took place in Mary's womb, the twin would never be separated. Never again would the Son of God be without a human body. Now, the one and only person to be chosen to bear the human body of the Son of God surely must have a very special place of honor and recognized by every Christian. We would be very weak Bible readers. We would be very uh, small-minded if we did not give to Mary that exceeding great place uh, that is hers in the Bible. So we owe her a great place in the Bible. We owe her a place in our hearts. And think about it. One day when we get to heaven, we will look out for Mary. We will watch for that uh, young woman who brought our Savior into the world. And we will join with her in that great assembly of the saints. Now, the reason for this message is that we must never underestimate the depth of passion that is within the heart of Roman Catholic people for Mary. It is something that is really unusual, exceedingly strange, and in one way uh, a hindrance to their understanding of the gospel. You ask any devout practicing Roman Catholic, what is Mary to you? And you might be shocked. You will find that there is a sensitivity, there is a, uh, an attitude that is amazing. There is a particular radio listener that calls me from time to time, and she is a very devout Roman Catholic. She tells me that she really loves Jesus. She also tells me that she deeply loves Mary and is greatly offended when people mention Mary and will not give Mary the place that Roman Catholics do. She is offended and she is hurt in her heart when you would say that Mary is not this or that. How can we explain this blind devotion that Roman Catholics have to Mary to the point where they are more defensive, more obsessed with the name and the person of Mary 
than even the Lord Jesus Himself. And that can be illustrated uh, that the Roman Catholic is taught and takes it to heart that if you really have a sorry story, if you really want to get through to the heart of God, the way to do it is through Mary. She is the mother figure. She has a greater capacity for sympathy and compassion. We must also remember that Roman Catholic people are born into a tremendous web of tradition regarding Mary. In devout Roman Catholic homes, there will be pictures of Mary, and that they are used in honoring and in worshiping and praying. In Roman Catholic places of worship, there will be statues of Mary and pictures of Mary. And Roman Catholic people put great emphasis upon that. In the Heal Mary prayer that Roman Catholics are taught to say, Mary is mentioned ten times more than the Lord Jesus. In Roman Catholic countries, they have national holidays and events that coincide with their religious calendar. And on those events, they will have Madonnas or statues of a woman and child, and they will attribute it to Mary. They parade in the streets. There are multitudes of people healing Mary and honoring her. Roman Catholic priests give uh, to Mary uh, the title Queen of Heaven and the Queen of the World. The whole life of those nations revolve very much around promoting Mary as a supernatural figure who brings God down into their lives somehow. Now, we wonder, as we think of these many cultures around the world, how did this develop? Uh, was it the invading missionaries that came and taught these people to do this? Or was there something before and beyond that? We know that in ancient Babylon, prior to the birth of Christ, there was a mother and child religion. Pagan people who didn't know the gospel, didn't have the Bible, they were very fond of worshiping this mother and child. And so, when Roman Catholicism or Christianity developed at that time, Constantine brought in thousands of people into Christianity and made it the, the religion of the empire. Then, at that time, pagan people, without true conversion, without really being converted by the power of the gospel, they brought their mother and child religion with them. And, of course, eventually, instead of giving it the old name, she received the new name of Mary and the child Jesus. Now, at first, dead Christians were designated as saints if they had been martyred, and they would uh, acquire that title through time if they were martyrs. Now, Mary was never martyred. 
But then there were those who were following an ascetic style of life, denying themselves and so on, that they might be super religious. And those who led that kind of life, when they died, some of them were appointed as saints. And so, as time went on, Mary became uh, a saint and was given the title of Mary, Queen of Heaven, Mary, the Co-Redemptrix, Mary, the Mother of God, and so on. Now, in 1854, the Roman Catholic Church introduced the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. And basically what that did was it moved the miracle of the sinless conception of the Lord back one generation. They taught that Mary was conceived sinlessly, that Mary lived sinlessly, and therefore she was by that means able to bring forth uh, the Lord Jesus sinless. And they added and added on to that. In 1950, Pope Pius XII pronounced the doctrine of Mary's assumption, that is, that she uh, rose from the dead and is now in heaven bodily. And there she appears as a co-redemptrix, and that she also prays and intercedes for her people. Now, the Bible doesn't say a word about saints in heaven interacting with people on earth. There is no information given of what the saints in heaven know about what we are doing down here on earth. And there are all kinds of difficulties and problems, because if Mary is just human, how can she possibly hear all the prayers of the millions of Roman Catholic people around the world on the same day or any day of the week? What is ascribed to her really uh, makes her to be a fourth person in the Godhood. She is given the attribute of deity. Now, all of that, of course, we reject. And we will try and disabuse someone who uh, is impassioned about their devotion to Mary, that that is wrong, that is detracting from Christ, that is denying uh, the power, the grace, the mercy of the Savior, and that we are to get our eyes on the Lord Jesus, not upon Mary as a saint or certainly not as a mediator. And so we're interested tonight in honoring Mary. How do we as Bible believers, a people who read our Bible and say that we are Bible Christians, how do we honor Mary with all that background that is false, spurious, and denies the gospel? How should we give true honor to this woman who was God's vessel to bring the body of our Lord into the earth. Well, here are a number of reasons why we should honor Mary. Let's go to Luke 1 and verse 30. Luke 1 and verse 30. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. 
Oh, this is she was sovereignly chosen. And that's the first reason we should honor her. That's why we should be willing to speak well of her. God chose her. She was God's choice instrument. And out of grace, the word favor here means grace. And in the mighty uh, wisdom and love of God, here is this young woman. And you are told here that she found grace. She didn't obtain it. She didn't work for it. But rather, it was granted to her out of God's goodness and grace. Now, out of all the young women of the world, Mary was uniquely chosen, and she was God's favored. And that's sovereign choice. And that's how we become a Christian, too. That's how the Lord saves us, not because we're any better, not because we're any more deserving, but out of his sovereign choice, he calls us and makes us his own. Now, we are never to despise the electing love and the sovereign work of God. And God has his special people, and Mary is one of them. You could think of Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph, the one with the coat of many colors. He was certainly special to Jacob and to God, and they are set apart. So let us never despise Mary, for God has put this honor upon her. As we go down this passage and look at verse 35, we see that because Mary was supernaturally conceived. Mary herself supernaturally conceived. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now surely this text, this verse 35, is the very highlight of the incarnation. Without human relations with Joseph, without normal processes of procreation, the womb of Mary was utilized by the Holy Ghost, and the divine nature of the second person of the Trinity and the human nature of Mary, out of the human nature of Mary, was brought forth our Lord Jesus. What a mystery. What a miracle. Now, of that, our Westminster Confession teaches us that this was done without conversion, without composition, and without confusion. And those who are in our adult Sunday school class will remember those three C's. There was no conversion. God's nature was not changed into human. There was no loss in the nature of God. And the human nature that was taken of Mary's substance was not deified. There was no conversion. There was no composition. And there is no confusion. That's how our confession teaches on this. And what the Holy Spirit did in Mary and through Mary is nothing short of miraculous 
and mysterious. It's above natural generation. And of course, the outcome is the supernatural person of the Lord Jesus. How else can we explain the miracles? How else can we explain the ministry, the teaching, the preaching, the resurrection of the Lord from the dead? Because in Mary's womb was conceived the Son of God. And so we rejoice in Mary as the vessel of the incarnation. Going on down to verse 38, you will see, because Mary, of Mary's servant-like submission. This is a tremendous quality uh, that we can emulate too. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now, you should know that that name, handmaid, that position that Mary took, in the Greek language, it means bond slave, doule. It means a young woman totally surrendered to the will of God. And here is a life that was dramatically and powerfully changed in an instant of the announcement when she was to become the mother of the body of the Lord Jesus. And her immediate response is, according to the angel's word, let it be done unto me. There is something commendable here. And every one of us should be as ready, as willing, to have our lives even turned upside down that we might be the vessel of the Lord. Now, I move to verse 42, and I see another way by which we can honor Mary because of how Mary was addressed. Look at verse 42. She spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Now, these are the words of Elizabeth in the country home, speaking to Mary as she arrives through the door, blessed among women. Now, I want you to notice it says among women, not above women. She is favored, honored, a vessel in the hand of God, but she is not elevated and exalted above women. And Elizabeth got it right. Blessed art thou among women. Also, Elizabeth said in verse 44, For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And it goes on to talk about the mother of my Lord. Now, it does not say that Mary is the mother of God. That is the great outstanding uh, error of Romanism, uh, attributing to Mary the title Mother of God. Now, this appeared way back in the early church in some of the creeds, and it was language that was intended uh, to elevate the Christ and his deity. 
but later it became adopted in a heretical manner, in a way that instead of elevating the Lord, it elevated Mary and exalted her totally out of proportion, making her to be the mother of God. And of course, strictly speaking, that language makes no sense because God has no beginning. God has no father or mother, either the Father, Son, or Holy Ghost. And this is only a reference to the human nature, to the body of the Lord Jesus. She is truly, rightly, the mother of the Lord. And you'll see that confession of Mary, of Elizabeth, mother of my Lord. And then in verse 45, uh, Mary is again addressed as a believer. Blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And so you can see that in Mary's heart, faith was at work. Not only was she given the blessing of an amazing, miraculous conception, but born in her heart was the gift of faith that she could believe the word of the Lord through the angel. She took it to heart. She believed what God said unto her. And from that point onward, she was a believer. And by making her name... Um, not uh, strictly just Mary, the country girl, the mother of this uh, body of the Lord Jesus, but by attributing to her the ungodly titles and the elevated positions really dishonors her. It cheapens everything, and it ruins the true honor that was given to this woman. And so we thank God for Mary, and we commend her and make her an example of godliness. But we stop short of any equality with the Lord Jesus. Moving to the next one, verse 46, it says here how Mary personally exalted the Lord. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And so she referred to her own offspring, the fruit of her own womb, the Lord Jesus, as her Lord. She did not elevate herself. She did not exalt herself. But she certainly attributed great honor to her Savior, the Lord Jesus. Mary in this was not like Mrs. Zebedee. You remember how Zebedee wanted, Mrs. Zebedee wanted to have honor for her two sons, to one at the right hand and the other at the left hand of the Lord uh, on that seat of, uh, of glory. But not this Mary, not this mother. And by magnifying her son as Lord, Mary recognized the great distance that there is between the Creator and herself, just a created being. To call him Lord personally, not to boast, not to elevate her family, but to give him the right title to worship and exalt him. And of course, this is something that we all need to learn in the Christian church, how we can exalt the Lord, but not ourselves. Make much of Christ and stay in the shadows ourselves that we may be uh, truly honoring 
the Lord himself. Moving to verse 47, you will see how Mary confessed Christ as her Savior. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Now, this is a personal confession. He's my Savior. If she had only said, he is the Savior, or the Savior of the world, there would be many who would say, see how Mary's not included? But she did include herself, my Savior. And to make that statement, she took the place of a sinner, needing to be saved, needing deliverance from her sin. And Mary was born shapen in iniquity, as we all are. Mary was in need of salvation, and here is the miracle of the incarnation of Christ, born of Mary, and it was the overshadowing of her own nature. This is where the miracle lies, the Holy Ghost overshadowing the, 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 the nature, the sinful nature of Mary, so that yet of her substance would be born that holy thing. That's a mystery to us. And yet God took of her nature. And so Mary, therefore, was not the Savior, but was in need of a Savior. And Mary will be in heaven the same way as every one of us. And as I said earlier, we will see Mary in heaven. We will see her among the saints, and she will be gathered around the throne, offering up her praises to the Lamb, the Lord of glory. And just as she gave him the title Lord here on earth and the title Savior here on earth, Mary for all eternity will be gathered with the saints, singing the praises of her Savior. And yes, we will see her there. And we will join with her with the same attitude, the same honor to the Savior. And we each needed the same cleansing in Jesus' blood. We each needed uh, the miracle of the new birth. We each needed to be adopted into the family of God. And through the same gospel, we are translated into the kingdom of glory. And so you can see Mary's tremendous heart of gratitude. Look at verse 49. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. There's the language of a Christian at worship. There's the language of a child of God rejoicing in what the Lord has done. Now, women in the Bible are not supposed to preach, but Mary did the next best thing. She sang. And what you have at the end of this chapter, verse 50 to verse 55, is called the Magnificat. You have Mary's tremendous song, and she sings good news to sinners. This is her pulpit. And ladies, you can get away with this. You can sing the gospel. You can make it known to the world with your voice and sing the praises of the Savior. In the verse 50, uh, you will see that she is praising uh, him for those who fear him. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. 
You can see the great long-term expectation that was in Mary's heart. In verse 51, for the humble, he hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And of course, that's what Christ does. That's the work of grace in the stubborn sinner's heart to make us humble. In verse 52, those of low degree, he hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. And then verse 53, to fill the hungry. Oh, the soul that is empty and famished, the Lord brings grace and spiritual life. And then finally in verse 55, to believing Israel. Mary quoted and believed the Bible promises. And as it is mentioned here in verse 55, as he spake to our fathers, to Abram, and to his seed forever. And so all those promises of the Old Testament, all those that were given through the lineage of Abram and David and further down, here you have Mary setting forth the wonders of it all. And she turns this song into a wonderful example that every Christian can adopt. It's good to sing, and it's good to sing the praises of the Lord. I hope that you sing in your home, sing in your heart, and as we gather together here in the Lord's house, let us sing the Lord's praises again and again and again. Now, I'm not of the Anglican tradition, but J.C. Ryle and some others say that this portion, Luke 1, 50 to 55, Mary's song, the Magnificat, is after the Lord's Prayer the most commonly cited or sung piece of Scripture in the Anglican tradition. And so for hundreds of years around the world, Christians, those that came to rejoice in the Savior, took these words of Mary almost verbatim, now they're probably paraphrased and, and turned into musical lyrics and so on, but they are taken as the basis of the worship of God's people. We can thank Mary for that. When you get to heaven, you can thank her for that song that she left the Christian church to be sung down through the ages. And so, while we want to deliver uh, those from the false views of Mary, those who attribute to her things that are wrong, heretical, and indeed blinding uh, to sinners. We want to honor her biblically and give her the place God has given her and praise God for that vessel that he used to bring our Lord Jesus into the world. And I trust tonight that you will above all know the Savior and rest in Him, trusting in all His marvelous grace. Now, we have a closing hymn tonight, and it's 120, but knowing my record tonight, I better make sure 
one, two, zero. Who is he in yonder stall? It's correct. One, two, zero. Who is he in yonder stall? At whose feet the shepherds fall. Who is he that stands and weeps at the grave where Lazarus sleeps? One, twenty. For the, those who may be joining us by webcast, we do plan to webcast our Christmas Eve service. For some, I probably shouldn't say that. We do want you to be here and come, but we know there may be others at a distance, and we certainly would like to invite you to be a part of that on Tuesday evening at 6 by webcast. Let's unite in a closing prayer. Father, we thank Thee uh, for the wonder of the Savior's birth, but the miracle of taking that young girl, making her to be the mother of Christ. O oh Lord, we thank Thee for the tremendous blessedness, the honor that was placed upon her. And O oh Lord, what a blessing is placed upon us as Christ is born in our hearts by His Spirit, by His grace, and that we become the image bearers of the Lord Jesus. We ask your blessing upon us tonight and through the week to come. Bless those who travel, watch over them, keep them, and bring each one back again in the fullness and blessing of the gospel. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus, 
the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with your redeemed people now and evermore. Amen.